0: Verse 10 of Amos 7. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also, Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of the sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be a harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by land, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity fourth of his land. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that this very night that thou wouldst cause Amos to stand in our midst and that thou wouldst take his words, the words that thou didst speak through him long ago, and and make them drum in our hearts and teach us, Father, the solemn message that Amos has. We trust thy spirit to do his work in our heart tonight. We thank thee that When we meet together, it's not one man speaking to another, it's not our own human selves looking into thy word, but thy spirit is here to apply thy truths, and we trust him to do it this very night. In Jesus' name, amen. The time is the 8th century B.C., we are concerned with a man by the name of Amos. In Amos' day, he lived in a nation that was somewhat wrapped up in a civil war, a nation that had been won and yet had divided north and south. The northern part was called Israel or Samaria. The southern part was called Judah. The northern part, more liberal the southern part more orthodox and conservative religiously and politically, very akin in a sense to the situation in our own nation in some respects. The northern part had particularly uh, grown powerful and prosperous, and yet in spite of its prosperity, the lower classes were kept in poverty. Uh, and the morality it was at an all-time low gross immorality religion uh, uh, had gone a similar path uh, a great deal of uh, liberalism and laxity and immorality uh, among the clergy uh, particularly in the northern section there and then appears uh, this man amos he suddenly comes on the scene, he's a farm boy, a sheep herder and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He's a South Alabama boy, but he goes up to Chicago to preach. And uh, when he arrives in Chicago, uh, he's uh, received into the presbytery there. And uh, then the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Chicago Calls the chairman of the commission on the minister and his work, uh, the presbytery, and he says, Y'all made a mistake. (laughs) He said, uh, This fella, uh, Amos, y'all should never have let him in the presbytery. Uh, Have you heard the things he's been preaching? Uh, Do you realize how serious the situation is? That man's a fanatic. He's a fundamentalist. He's really going to stir things up. In verse, uh, 10 of uh, chapter 7 there. Uh, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, pastor of First Church, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, he wrote to the moderator of the General Assembly, (coughs) uh, saying, Amos hath conspired uh, against thee in the midst of the house of Israel, and the land is not able to bear his words. This man, we just have got to stop him. What was it that Amos had said that uh, had so upset uh, the situation there? What was his message? Well, his message went something like this. He was smart. He approached it gradually. Uh, he said that God's going to judge the nations around us. In the first chapter, in the second verse, we read this. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Verse 3, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing threshing instruments of iron. Uh, You find uh, that he starts with their uh, traditional enemy, Syria. And he speaks of the capital, Damascus, and he said, God's going to deal with this nation and its capital, and uh, for its cruelty, its uh, the way it's handled, its uh, warfare and threshed this particular city and location of Gilead with threshing instruments of iron, uh, I will punish them. I will not turn away the punishment. Then he moves on and he speaks of Gaza, and he says, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive, the whole captivity, to deliver them up to Edom. And then he speaks of another traditional enemy of Tyrus in verse 9. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyrus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And he begins to circle Israel, with the nations surrounding it, pronouncing judgment on each of these nations, and the, using this formula for three transgressions and for four. Uh, the connotation being that three times I let them go against my will and uh, do things that were terribly wrong, and I was patient, and yet the fourth one was too much. My patience is long overtried, and now I will punish, I will no longer be patient. I've had more than I can stand. He mentions things like their cruelty, broken treaties, uh, things of this nature. And of course, as he uh, rings about uh, Israel, pronouncing judgment on the traditional enemies of Israel, why, this is acceptable. But the problem is that he didn't stop there. He went on to pronounce judgment on the South. On Judah, in the second chapter and the fourth verse, he says, "Thus saith the Lord: For three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord, and have not kept His commandments. And their lies caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked." He goes on to bring it closer home, and yet uh, even this was acceptable. After all, he was from the South, and if he wanted to talk about the South, why he had a right to, in a sense. But he didn't stop there. He went on to even say that God was going to judge the North, Chicago. And now he had quit preaching and gone to meddling. And uh, they were very upset. He just sat there and began to name their sins, one after another. He said, God's going to judge you because you've been mercenary rather than merciful. And the the metaphors he uses are really something. He says, uh, for instance, in the second chapter and the seventh verse, uh, well, look at the sixth verse, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. The cheapest commodity is of more value in your eyes than the poor in your midst. That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. You're so greedy you even want to get the dust on the head of his earth, uh, on his head, the earth on his head. That's how greedy and covetous you are. And turn aside the way of the meek. Then he goes on to say that uh, there's the matter of sexual immorality in the 7th verse of the 2nd chapter and the last half of it. And the man and his father will go in under the same maid to to profane my holy name. He says you put pressure on the preachers not to preach against it and to conform to your own ways. In verse 12. Of that second chapter, ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet, saying, prophesy not. Uh, he speaks of corrupt government a little further over in the fifth chapter and uh, speaks of them taking bribes. And in the fourth chapter, in the fourth verse, he speaks of the insincerity of their worship. Even when they went to church, they sinned. They drew nigh with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. In verse 4 of chapter 4, Come to Bethel, come to this big church center, and transgress. You come here, but you come in sin. At Gilgal, another uh, church center, multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning. Stand up and sing your songs and your tithes after three years. You bring your offerings, you bring your sacrifices, you lead in prayer, you sing the hymns, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you. You make a contribution and then you go out and tell everybody how much you gave. Uh, Insincerity and public worship. You like uh, all of the, uh, all of the uh, publicity of it and the show of it. And he mentions also another angle of their insincerity of worship in the eighth chapter in the fourth verse, where he says, Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat? Uh, they couldn't sell during these religious holidays, and on Sunday they couldn't do business, they were forbidden, but it grieved them. And they said, uh, we don't like this time that we have to take out from business to attend uh, worship services and the ordinances of the Lord's house. In other words, they sat in, uh, they came in in the morning, they saw the communion table, they said, uh, communion Sunday. It'll take 15 minutes longer. I'll be late at Britland's. (laughs) It grieved him. He mentions their crooked business practices in the same eighth chapter and the fifth verse, the last part of it, uh, making the epa small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit. Uh, You're watering down the gasoline that you sell, you In many ways, you're falsifying uh, your business practices. He enumerates all these sins, but then he doesn't even stop there. He goes on and he says, you know what? God's not only going to judge you for this, but your judgment's going to be worse than that of the nations surrounding you. In the third chapter, the first and second verse, he says... Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all of your iniquities. They said, But wait a minute, we're God's chosen people. Uh, We have uh, all of these blessings that he's given. And he said, That's right. You've had more light than any other people, therefore you're more responsible And since you haven't followed the light, you'll be judged more severely. To whom much is given, much shall be required. That servant, said Christ, that knew his master's will and did it not, shall be beaten with many stripes. That servant that knew not his master's will and did it not, shall be beaten with few stripes. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Your judgment shall be worse. And it wasn't just that Amos stood up and said these things. That was bad enough. But it was it was the way he said them that was so really bad. Uh, it was the uncouth way that he said these things. Look at the fourth chapter and the first verse. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. Uh, kind is sheep, or is cows. You fat cows. <laughs> uh, goodness. Presbyterian minister standing up and just saying those things and just... Enumerating sins and just so uncouth, and uh, he just had to be stopped. And so, uh, Amaziah is just tremendously upset. But uh, Amos goes on to preach about judgment. And he says further, it's not as though you hadn't been warned that judgment was coming. God has given you ample warning. In the fourth chapter, the sixth verse, <coughs> And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities, and want of bread in your places, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Uh, Amos says, you remember the famine a couple of years back? That was God warning you about your sin. He sent that as a light judgment to bring you to your senses, to cause you to turn, yet you didn't turn. And then he says... uh, He didn't stop there. Remember the drought that took place several years later? I also have withholding the rain from you. When there were yet three months to the harvest, I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. And uh, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Uh, He sent a drought, and that didn't even cause you to stop. And then you remember the time that the bugs got in the crops? That was him, too, warning you. In verse 9, I've smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. Yet have you not returned unto me. And then he goes on to say, you remember the battle that we lost? You remember how our sons and daughters got killed in the war? That was God's hand against us, too, warning us. Verse 10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with a sword, and have taken away your horses, and made the stink of your camps come up under your nostrils. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Apparently he even sent an earthquake. As it says in the 11th verse, I have overthrown some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were as a fire out of the burning yet have you not returned unto me saith the lord Amos says all of these things were God's hand nothing happens apart from God God controls all things and the look at the third chapter third chapter the sixth verse the last half of the sixth verse of the third chapter shall there be evil in a city and the lord hath not done it shall there be calamity in the city, and the Lord hath not done it. Not a sparrow falls without his permission. One of the commentators that I read on Amos was saying that in 1906, when they had a great earthquake in one of the major cities in California, I think it was San Francisco, he says that he was out there at the time and that the preachers uh, spent a great deal of time uh, assuring the people that God had no connection with this earthquake. Amos didn't talk like that. The Bible doesn't talk like that. God is sovereign. Shall there be evil in the city, and the Lord hath not done it? God is in control of all things. Nothing takes place apart from his sovereign will. And he had done these things in love. Uh, The purpose was to turn them. God had been patient, but they had been perverse. And now, says Amos, now because of your utter indifference to these warnings, therefore, in the fourth chapter, the twelfth verse, a very solemn word, therefore thus will I do unto you, O Israel, and because I will do this unto you, prepare to meet thy God. I'm coming now in real judgment. Prepare to meet thy God. He says, this is it. God's assured me this is it. His day of grace is over for Israel. He says he's assured me in various ways. He gave me certain visions of just what was involved. He said, first, he showed me a vision of grasshoppers in the seventh chapter and the first verse. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me Behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. O God, don't send a plague of grasshoppers to destroy the crops. We can't survive that. And he says, God said, all right, I won't do it. He averted the judgment. I saw that in one aspect judgment was averted. In verse 3, the Lord repented of this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Then he says, he gave me another vision. And he said, this time I saw a plumb line. In the 7th chapter, the 7th verse, thus he showed me. And behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. He said, He told me that judgment was determined, and it would be like a plumb line. There'd be no variation. Black would be black. White would be white. They would be judged for every deviation from what they knew to be right. There would be no compromise. It would be a strict and severe judgment. Judgment determined. And then he said, he showed me something else. A basket of summer fruit in the 8th chapter, the 2nd verse. He said, Amos, what seest thou? I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come up upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. What does fruit speak of, summer fruit, when it's ripe? The harvest is ripe. The harvest of judgment was ripe for Israel. God would not pass by anymore. The end was before him. Judgment imminent. Judgment determined. Judgment imminent. And then he gave him a picture of what it would be like when judgment was executed. In the ninth chapter in the first verse, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar... And he said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with a sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. He said, I saw a picture of judgment when it actually occurs, and it's going to be awful. God's not fooling. It's going to be terrible. Somebody's going to be hurt bad. He said, you know, some of you talk about the day of the Lord. Back in the fifth chapter, in the 18th verse, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Some of you say, gee, I just wish the Lord would step in and set things straight. I just wish the Lord would come back. <laughs> he said, listen, those of you who are saying you just wish the Lord would step in and set things straight, he's going to set you straight. You'll be one of those things that gets set straight. Uh, the day of the Lord's going to be darkness, not light. The day of the Lord's going to be like this. As he says there in the uh, 19th verse of the 5th chapter, As if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him. Do you want to know what the day of the Lord is going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Ever have a day like that? <laughs> Says that's what the day of the Lord is going to be like when he steps in with judgment. Prepare to meet God and think of who he is. In the fourth chapter, the thirteenth verse, For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Are you prepared to meet God who created heaven and earth and controls it? Are you prepared to stand before him and answer for the way you've lived, says Amos? Then he calls them to repentance. There's a ray of light in it. He calls to repentance. In the fifth chapter and the fourth verse, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Turn, seek, repent, and ye shall live. And in the 14th verse, Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord God of hosts shall be with you, as ye have spoken. A call to repentance. This is Amos' message. And of course, it met with bitter opposition. People don't like alarm clocks. (laughs) People don't like uh, someone to shout, Wake up, you're in danger. And Amaziah, the pastor at First Church, he sits down and he writes this letter to the moderator of the General Assembly and he says, We simply must do something about him. Uh, he says, uh, Amos has said that the king's going to be killed, that the nation is going to go into captivity. And uh, then he addresses himself to Amos personally in the twelfth verse of the seventh chapter. Amaziah said unto Amos, "O thou seer, go flee away into the land of Judah. Go back down south and preach that. Just don't preach it up here. And there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court." Uh, we're right here in the headquarters of the General Assembly and it's, it's, we're in the public eye and, and you're not using the literature. And, uh, <laughs> uh, just go, go away. And uh, the answer comes back from Amos. Here's the way he answers. He says, listen, he said, I didn't want to do this. He said, uh, don't tell me to go preach uh, my message somewhere else. It's not my message. Uh, it's not my words that you're rejecting. It's God's word in the uh, 14th verse of the 7th chapter, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of the sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore heareth the word of the Lord. Uh, thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. They're not my words. I was minding my own business. And there's nothing that I would rather do less than be in this situation. But I'm here to deliver God's message to you. And as proof of it that it's not just my message, but it's God's, you, Amaziah, will die. And your wife will become a harlot and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword." Not only that, but there will be a famine of the word. In the 8th chapter, the 11th verse, uh, he says, "...Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord." They are not my words, they are God's words that you are rejecting. You don't want to hear God's Word, all right. The day will come when you can't hear it, when there'll be a famine of the Word of God. I believe that day came for Israel when she went into captivity. I believe that it came in even a much more severe way when uh, she rejected Christ and then was rejected of God. and. For 2,000 years, there's been a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in the nation of Israel. And of course, in many places in the world today, there's a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. The application would be obvious to our nation, the situation of our nation, America, what nation in the world has had the privileges we have of an open Bible and of it being preached on every uh, airwave and television station, and yet think of the immorality that characterizes our nation, the greed and the lust and the uh, corrupt government, uh, all of these things that characterized Israel, the compromising of the ministers and the pressuring of them to conform in various ways. Uh, America is in very much the same situation. and. As we see, in many respects, uh, dire circumstances facing our nation, both from without and from within. You know, people say our nation has resisted successfully uh, her enemies before, but never has our nation been in such a state of internal disorder and uh, threatened with external enemies before. And perhaps you feel in your bones that God is judging our nation, and that our nation's time has come. And the question in your heart would be, what about those who are righteous? What about those who walk with God? Will they, too, be caught in the midst of this thing? And Amos has a word to that point. As he says in the ninth chapter and the ninth verse, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, says God, like corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not prevent us. In other words, as he sifts the nation, there would be also, uh, keeping up on God's part with the, the true grain, and it would be protected. And not a grain, one of the true ones who walked with him, would fall upon the earth. The sinners of his people would die by the sword, but the others would be protected. And that doesn't mean they might not be harmed physically, but he would guard them spiritually. And uh, he might deliver them through death, if not from death. But still, uh, he would be with them as he was with Stephen when Stephen was stoned. The application to our denomination is obvious to me. The the light that our denomination has had, uh, the great men of God who have been in her seminaries in days gone by, and the defection on the part of our denomination makes me tremble for her. It may be that God will cause her candlestick to be removed. Uh, God has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church, uh, but He has not promised that the Southern Presbyterian Church will endure forever. It has a obvious application to you and I, you and me, as individuals, our situation. Uh, we have enjoyed light. Uh, we have had the instruction from God's Word as individuals and as a group. And yet have we followed through? Have we responded? What What is our situation? If a Christian, have we walked uh, with him as Lord of every area of our lives as we should? Have we... Uh, abided in Christ as we are commanded to have we obeyed diligently Uh, or have we sought to do as little as possible to uh, walk as far away from him as we felt we could and yet not be running too great a risk Uh, it's got a warning in it to God's people and it's got a warning in it to the non-Christian especially one who has heard and heard and heard and yet has put God off. He has some more things he wants to do first. Uh, He refuses to really yield his will. Uh, He makes excuses. He speaks about uh, when we talk to him about Christ as the only way and the Son of God and dying for our sins. He says, well, that's your interpretation, not my interpretation. Uh, It's the clear teaching of the word of God, which all major Protestant denominations have agreed on years ago. Uh, Not my interpretation of the word. It's clearly laid out in the word of God what a man must do to be right with God, who Jesus Christ was, what he did. That salvation is by faith in him alone and surrender to his will. This is not my interpretation. It's the word of God, and you reject it. It's a solemn thing to reject or to set yourself against uh, one of God's true servants, as is obvious here from what took place in this man Amaziah's life. God says, uh, He that rejects you rejects me. And so we would urge you tonight, uh, consider, has God been warning you in various ways? Have you had calamity after calamity that was God doing it in love, seeing, return unto me, it was his wooing way? Sometimes a, God has to put a man on his back in order to get a look at his face. Has God uh, been dealing, maybe, in one way or another with you? I remember in the last church that I served, a A lady who came and was concerned about her husband, she said uh, he's not interested in spiritual things. I can't get him to come to church. And when I talked to him, he is offended. And I said, well, let's pray about it. And so we did for about six months, and I kind of gave up and didn't pray for a little while. And Then one Thanksgiving day as I drove over from the seminary to the church where I was met with someone who said... uh, This couple's little seven-year-old son was hit by a truck and killed. The man turned to Christ at that point and has been blessed since. But what a tragic way to have to come. Has God been speaking to your heart and urging you in various ways to turn? Don't cause him to have to deal any more harshly with you. He loves you yield tonight.